Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is Joshua Kahn with your news. Constant readers rejoice as dairy authorities have located missing author Stephen King. In a shocking twist of events, he was found safely recuperating, locked in the guest room of our very own C.M. Alexander. When questioned, C.M. explained this was for his own good as she nursed him back to health. Mr. King reportedly has written a brand new book just for her as a special thank you. A sequel to her favorite King work, Stud City 2, Faster Cars. You're listening to Dairy Public Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King Book Club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Kahn, alongside C.M. Alexander. Hello, everyone. And Benjamin Graham. Hey, hey, constant readers. Today we are on our part three of Misery, where we're going to talk about the movie Misery, and C.M.'s going to be leading our discussion today, so C.M., take it away. I don't even know what to say, because (laughs) we just finished this movie, and I feel tense, and my palms are sweaty and i feel kind of gross and bad (laughs) (laughs) i i felt anxious and i'm the only one that has seen this movie and it still gets to you it's the uh the performances in this movie are so good and uh it was very hard to simultaneously watch the movie and also watch you two watching the movie, which was just as entertaining. <laughs> I, I thought that felt kind of creepy. Seemed yeah. like someone was watching me. It's the yeah. reason I was uh, hiding behind the couch oh, the entire okay. time. Yeah. <laughs> ben sits behind us so he can watch us while we watch things. <laughs> the amount of times that uh, CM and I had just turned and looked at each other during the movie <laughs> when something would happen. Like, uh, just, I was so into it. This one starts off a little different than the book. Because we get to see Paul finishing Stud City, or <laughs> whatever that book is. It's untitled in this, because uh, I feel like they couldn't pay James Kahn enough to say the words Stud City. It's, <laughs> uh, it's, it's fast it's cars. Like, no, it's but, not Stud City. <laughs> oh, god damn it. I'm sorry, that was a joke. I didn't mean to lead you down the path of... <laughs> I, I did notice, like, that That was my same thought, was that it's untitled because nobody would see fast cars on there <laughs> and be like, that should be a work he's really proud of. <laughs> I actually did write Stud City on my notes, and I was like, would that? No. That's so, not that's, that's, it wasn't only on me. <laughs> that's not right. Also, I noticed that he ended his book with ellipses, and I was like, no good book <laughs> can ever end with an ellipses followed by a question mark. That's not a good book. I'm sorry. <laughs> What was also interesting is that we get to see Paul get into his accident and Annie saving him. (laughs) We don't get that in the book. We just hear about it from her perspective later. What did you Mm. guys think about that? I loved it. That was so cool. Uh, I I made the comment that as the credits are rolling and he's driving and that upbeat music is playing. Like if you were going into this having no idea what this movie was at all, that wreck would take you by surprise. Uh, mm. just because it's like so subtle like the windshield wipers get a little foggier like the windshield you can't see quite so well and then all of a sudden you see that uh curvy road sign and like the wreck is awesome it's the cargo tumbling down that that hillside it's it's a great choice uh for adapting the book mm-hmm. because 
when you think about the book, it seems almost, if you were just to read the book and say they made a movie about this, you'd be like, how? It seems unadaptable because it's two characters in one room through so much of it, and so much of it is just all in Paul's head. It's just his reactions to things and his feelings and his inner innermost uh you know thoughts how do you make a whole movie out of that and so it it only makes sense that they would show more of the outside world which is not only seeing the wreck and seeing annie just fucking beast mode him up a hill (laughs) that That was was super cool uh (laughs) dragging him out of the, the car she gives him the cpr which uh of course, if you read along with the books, you know, was uh, her raping him. With her uh, hair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And another change that they make that's interesting, Paul and Annie, when he wakes up, have a normal exchange. What you would expect to people that, where am I? How long have I been here? Who are you? And she's responding normally and says, you know, don't worry, I'm a nurse. It's telling him that the phone lines are down that the roads are closed because of the blizzard. Everything is making sense. There, You don't have that immediate, you know, he wakes up in the book and he's like, oh, I'm in trouble. This He can already sense that there's something wrong with her. And in the movie, and I don't want you guys to give me a hard time about this, <laughs> in the movie, she just seems like, you know, if you, if you don't know anything about misery, she seems like a normal, nice lady. She seems to, that was one of the notes that I made was that she, uh, one, Kathy Bates is so young. In this movie, like as as my brain sees Kathy Bates when I conjure an image, it's so weird to see her so much younger. And her voice is her voice is pretty like it's it's such a it's a soothing, nice voice. And she seems like such a good person. She is perfect. Kathy Bates is astounding. I wrote down Kathy Bates. I'm not sure anyone else was even in this movie. <laughs> oh, or deserved to be. This was Kathy Bates's movie. She yeah. did such a good job that I'm sure the other actors also did a good job, but it made mm-hmm. them feel like cardboard cutouts of human beings. <laughs> it's like she was acting against yeah. cardboard and she killed it. Mm-hmm. I wrote down like James Kahn does put in, he has a lot of hard work in this movie. Oh yeah. Um, because so much of his scenes if he's in a scene and Annie's not there, it's just him toddling around in a wheelchair doing a whole bunch of face acting. And that's it. That's all he has. And that's friggin' hard for an actor, Josh. Yeah, mm-hmm. The hardest thing is acting alone. Oh, definitely. And he does a great job, but nothing can outshadow Kathy Bates in this movie, which is the number one thing I want to talk about, first and foremost is I, of course, spent the movie, at least the first part, on the IMDb IMDb trivia page. Like you do. Like I do. I am always fascinated by alternate cast lists, like especially in a movie like this, where you're there's a character that's like so iconic. The the performance is so perfect that it's impossible to Im- even imagine who else could be in this show. But according to IMDb, some of the alternate people that were considered for this movie are straight up insane. Go on. Well, James Conn is amazing, but Paul Sheldon, he's kind of a blank slate. 
Mm-hmm. Sure. I think you guys would he agree. He could be anybody. Yeah. yeah. Uh, some of the people considered uh, Warren Beatty, Robert De Niro, Michael Douglas, uh, Mel Gibson, which would have been weird. Whoa, oh, wow. Uh, Morgan Freeman, which I think would have been great. That would have been pretty cool. Uh, Bruce Willis, who I think was 12 when this movie came out. <laughs> I, I Don't fact check that, but that would have been really crazy. Because Bruce Willis did play Paul Sheldon on Broadway as when they did Misery the Stage mm-hmm. Play. Opposite Laurie Metcalf from Roseanne. Yeah, Aunt Jackie <laughs> and Bruce Willis. <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh, and all of those are kind of like, whoa, though, that would have been a very different movie. So different. But all of them you can be like, yeah, I see that. Here are some of the actresses that were briefly considered for the role of Annie Wilkes. Bette Midler. What? Bette Midler was offered the role and turned it down. Wow. What would that movie have been? It would have been, might I suggest, insane. (laughs) But not as insane as Roseanne Barr. Oh. Oh. So I'm just thinking of like recent Roseanne. Well, yeah, which is a whole extra layer of uh, Annie Wilkes. She, Roseanne, like could have done the crazy part real well, but I don't think she ever could have pulled up. Oh no way! Depth of sincerity. Oh no way! Uh, Neither could Rosie O'Donnell. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Actually, I I see her. She probably was the closest. Like, she could have done the the prim and nice Annie, but I don't think Rosie O'Donnell trying to be as threatening as Aunt Kathy Bates is, no way. Mm-hmm. Well, and she's, especially I believe when this movie came out, like, she was real deep in the comedy section. Like, she was yeah. not doing a lot of serious roles. Mm-hmm. And finally, the last two, and the most insane, Barbara Streisand. I'd watch the fuck out of that. Or Mary Tyler Moore. <laughs> nope. No. What? No. <laughs> Neither of those. What? Those would have been the... Okay, Barbara Streisand, that would have been the craziest movie of all time. And I would have watched... <laughs> yep. Okay, this movie, it Barbara been... Streisand and Morgan Freeman. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay, I take it all back. I want to see that movie. That, <laughs> that, that is either a five out of five or a one out of five. <laughs> like, there's no middle ground in that movie. If that's the casting. <laughs> anyway, I just found that fascinating. And yeah, Kathy Bates just killing it in every single scene. I was surprised by how much I liked her and how sincere mm-hmm. she was because she wasn't nice or sweet or sincere in the book. Yeah, She no, was I- either crazy or blank. I wrote down uh, in a later scene, I completely agree Annie is so much more sympathetic in this movie. And I think it has to do with the fact that she is, while violent, slightly less violent than in the book. There are many scenes that we don't get in the movie. Uh, We don't get her... Um, throwing the bowl against the wall. Throwing the bowl making against the drink wall. Making him drink water. <laughs> uh, squishing a wet rat. She does not squeeze a rat to yeah. death. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, she's not as... She's still manic, mm-hmm. but she's not as outwardly violent. She's and not also, as over the top crazy. She's just way more charismatic yeah. in these early scenes. Like, yeah, Paul doesn't suspect anything because she is so normal-seeming. Wait, uh, wait Ben. What if the movie is how it actually happened? 
And the book, as you hypothesized last episode, is the book Paul Sheldon wrote about Holy the experience of fuck. <laughs> that all pans out. Yeah. Without skipping everywhere. Uh, that may that would make that would line up perfectly. I, th- I think that is truth. That's it. We did we it. it. We out. got to the bottom yeah. of it. Yeah, because she Podcast acts over. more <laughs> like Forever. a human. She is yeah. so hu- not humane. That's the wrong word. <laughs> no. She is not humane. She is still a crazy, crazy, terrible person. But she, it, it's so realistic. You could believe all of this happening. And there are far less of the outlandish, like, over-the-top moments yeah. that happen in the book. Uh, and... In the movie, he never actually releases Misery's Return, which I don't think he would have. No. No, I don't think so. He doesn't save it either. Yeah. Which we'll get to, but. Yeah. I, I'm i kind of speechless. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy. I'm, I'm like, the, the way you started just describing her as more of a real person, I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. this is more real. <gasps> Wait. <laughs> I have been justified. <laughs> One episode later. There we uh, go. Thanks for the cosign, Josh. <laughs> no problem. And I think that makes the really terrifying parts all the more disturbing because mm. she's not acting super, super crazy. She's more normal. So then when she does go off the rails, it's really hard to deal with. Mm-hmm. And it's more surprising. It's mm-hmm. And I see that the thing that CM apparently is the most terrified is watching someone shave someone else. That's... <laughs> My phobia. What? You have a phobia of watching people get shaved by someone else? I bet people are listening to this and they're cringing right along with me. (laughs) I'm confident that that is the truth. (laughs) There's a scene very early in the movie. It might be the third scene. Probably. uh, After Paul wakes up. Yeah. And she is, each of these scenes is pretty much just her giving him novel, uh, establishing his, his need for the drug pretty early on. But, like, the third scene is just her giving him a straight razor shave. And CM, a horror expert, CM (laughs) Alexander, turns away from the screen and is like, is she done yet? (laughs) Tell me when she's she's done. Because you just know that she's going to be scraping it. Like up his face, and you hear the yeah, sound like shaving. Of the That's movie. how shaving oh. works. And she's gonna nick him, and he's gonna jerk, and there's it's gonna like be a little drop of blood. Anti ASMR for you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> oh man! All right, so where we are in the okay? Where are I, we at? So we'll move on, but I just want to point out she shows him his legs, and they are so terrible, like worse than I was imagining in the book. As I was reading about his legs, they look. Awful. Really? I was going to ask that. They're so lumpy and bruised and misshapen. And the, it's the un- makeup it made is my legs excellent. tingle. Uh, like, not in a good way. <laughs> I, I don't know. I imagine them in the book to be, like, cartoonishly broken. <laughs> like, literally in zigzag shapes. And these are basic leg shapes. <laughs> um, <laughs> so. This has been Anatomy with Ben Graham. <laughs> no, I, I agree with you. I When I was first reading the description because I mean he describes them like broken tree limbs and, mm-hmm. and things like that like my brain made a cartoony leg thing first but yeah I, I feel like those were the the makeup like what you could do with realistically showing like these legs are uh badly damaged but we also established that his legs 
will heal, so they mm-hmm. can't be cartoonishly yeah. <laughs> broken all uh, over the place. Not like until there. later, anyway. <sighs> and his shoulder is dislocated. But she got well. it. She yeah, had to she, monkey around a couple with times. it. <laughs> Another change that they made in the movie, they gave Paul Sheldon a daughter, which I assume is to make him a little bit more of a character. And during, so as we're seeing him um, recovering and everything that's going on in the house that we got in the book, we're also seeing his editor and the sheriff and people looking for him. There's a helicopter that flies by. The sheriff goes out into the snow very close to where his car is. He doesn't find it, but he's looking for him. So um, that that was I understand why they made that change to the movie. And I agree with Mm -hmm. it. I think it was very well done. It was just interesting that they fleshed that out a little more. And it wasn't because how can you convey that in his head? For sure. Right. Well, and in the book, he just sees that one article. We discussed that, that the article is almost sad at how little anybody seems to care. But he has no idea one way or the other. So it's interesting to see this side of it, of mm-hmm. seeing people actively searching for him and, and not wanting to make a huge deal out of, out of it until they find the car and it becomes a big news story. Yeah. Uh, so it was, yeah, I really liked seeing that from a different angle. And it was I, made, it was made all the more awesome because we get these two amazing characters, yes. Buster, so the sheriff and his wife, and they are the best married couple on <laughs> earth. I was say, we have to talk about, these two characters, two characters that are invented whole cloth, not in the in the book at all. Nope. Uh, Sheriff Buster and his unnamed wife. Does she she has have a name? name? Sharon. Uh, I want to say it's Jill. T- sure, whatever. Sheriff Buster, who is just like the perfect king character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that like down home, like when. His uh, Paul Sheldon is first reported missing. He's like, oh, that's real interesting. And he writes Paul Sheldon question mark on a bookmark <laughs> or on a post-it note and just puts it on a board. And that's he's like the, putting him into the system. Yeah, yeah. Through the system. <laughs> it is such a fantastic character and gets the point across where he's like, yep, I'm the sheriff and the deputy and I <laughs> clean off the roads and do all right. this. It really uh, gets the point across of how like secluded this little tiny town is and they're just hilarious the the much needed comic relief yes. of this movie uh the which i was not expecting wife. to have i did not think there would be comic relief in this movie and was pleasantly surprised when there was it was very tasteful yes too. yeah we also find out that annie well annie admits to paul that she was basically stalking him because he goes to this lodge it's like this tradition for him. And she said that she would sit outside of the lodge and just look up at his cabin light. And that's kind of how she ended up finding him because he took off into the storm and that crossed her mind as odd because it was a storm. Mm -hmm. And so she sees him go off the road and that's how she comes to rescue him. It's a little bit creepy. (laughs) Yeah, it's super creepy, but it also takes away that element of chance. Yeah. Of like any other day of the week the story of misery wouldn't have happened because Paul Sheldon would have died in that car wreck. Mm -hmm. So the one in a million shot of Annie happening, happening by it, it it takes the, the guesswork out of that by making her a stalker. And just, I followed you to your accident, basically. Holy shit. You guys go on. I just got this. Okay. (laughs) Misery is the name of the character in his book, but he's also in misery. Get it? Whoa. All right. 
Mine's low. <laughs> <laughs> oh, speaking of misery, Ben, mm. we also meet Misery. It's the pig. <laughs> the adorable giant pig. Our. I wanted to pet that pig. I'm just I'm putting it out there. Yeah, we she brings the pig into the house for uh to to meet Paul. <laughs> and um Paul seems real ungrateful about that by the way. Yeah. Pigs are awesome. He's not only does he seem ungrateful about misery, he's also he has this like attitude from the moment he wakes up. He doesn't seem Okay, you guys are giving me a weird look. <laughs> I'm just, did anyone else think, why is he being a dick right off the bat? His legs are shattered, I guess. Okay, uh, uh, well, no, it's, it, yeah, he's, uh, well, James Caan has so Just have a one, grump face. He has like two looks in this movie. Uh, and I, I say he, he does do a very good job. But his two looks for like the first half of the movie are bemused and agony. That's that's mm-hmm. like his too because throughout the first part of the movie before he like becomes suspicious of Annie, pretty much any time she's in the room, he's just looking at her like, "Yeah, okay, you fucking weirdo. Like, <laughs> what do you know? Oh, you got your pig, neat. <laughs> well, maybe because he's a city guy, bringing maybe. the pig in seems or I don't know. It's just I did love her turning around and oinking at him before she chased <laughs> the pig out of the room. That was beautiful. Yeah, I loved it. <laughs> So the first time Annie leaves, Paul, oh, this was so hard to watch. He actually pulls himself out of the bed. And this is before he has the wheelchair. As in the book, he just lays in the bed in agony until she comes back. He pulls himself out of the bed and his legs just crash to the floor. And I just wanted to crawl out of my skin. <laughs> that that moment cannot be as uh, as jarring if you have either a not read the book or b had both of your legs shattered and you fallen on them because like yes like i feel like we cringed so much more because we we've taken that internal monologue Mm -hmm. ride with paul Mm -hmm. but i imagine if you've just seen it you're like oh that That must have sucked (laughs) i don't know i i gotta give props to whoever did the like makeup effects in this movie for this scene and a few scenes later in the movie because uh, Paul Sheldon is the sweatiest man on earth. <laughs> like yeah. whenever he is in this massive pain, you can tell. Yeah. Uh, I did not mean his, he had two looks as an insult because his look of agony is so convincing. You can feel it. You know, like, at least I thought like just him laying on the floor, drenched in sweat. Any time you've been in pain, you you can just feel yeah. it. Yeah. What did you guys think about them basically dropping the addiction subplot almost entirely from the movie? I did kind of miss it because I think that gave us a lot of insight into his character and what he was going through. Mm-hmm. And it it helped with the justification, the desperation for his search to get out of the room. And when he finds it, because when they did the scene where he gets out and he finds the the packet. It's like an afterthought almost. Yeah, well, he grabs it and I was like, in the book, I understand why you grabbed it. But when he grabs it right then, I was like, what the fuck are you grabbing it for? You don't need it. And when he was like, when he started hiding them mm-hmm. under and in his mattress, I was like, this mm-hmm. is so different. This specific thing, he, he never would. He's desperate to get it, not desperate to hide it. Yeah, mm-hmm. it seemed like one of those things that... Uh, is unadaptable 
how could they have done more to visualize his deepening drug addiction further than what they did? I mean, they would have had to add... Uh, it, it would have had to been a much longer movie. I yeah, think. It, they would have had to add scenes and it would have yeah. dragged the pace down. And for that's certain. exactly it, because this movie moves. This movie books. Really there does. is no downtime. And uh, I, I thought that's part of the reason I love the movie is the pace is just breakneck. And we find out later why he's actually squirreling the pills away. And it's not in case she leaves again so that he has a backup plan. That's right. Um, which we'll get to. So because we don't have that addiction piece in there when she's trying to get him to burn fast cars and and she's not in the book, she's sort of holding his pain medication hostage. And in the movie, she's just sort of absentmindedly just shaking the lighter fluid bottle (laughs) onto his bed. That was so (laughs) sinister. Implying that if he doesn't burn the manuscript, she's going to set him on fire. (laughs) And that's what's so great about it is it's such a, a subtle uh, inference. Like there, mm-hmm. she she never looks malicious while she she never looks like she's squeezing it necessarily hard. She looks like it's an absent minded, and she never says that something that anything mm-hmm. will happen if he doesn't light it on fire. She never even alludes to the fact that she'll do anything if he doesn't light it on fire. But all of that intent is crystal clear. And I think this is a a uh, something we can attribute to the amazing directing. Kathy Bates won the Oscar for Best Lead Actress uh, for this role, but that was the only Oscar nomination this movie got. And after watching it, I think that was completely unfair. Rob Reiner directed this movie, and the direction, I thought, was superb. And he did an amazing job flying that helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> it was best best helicopter flying in a major motion picture. Rob and in the movie, another change that happens, they do not. So they find the car in the movie. Mm-hmm. Annie doesn't hide it, which I thought was interesting and didn't mind how they ended up doing that because it was kind of cool. The sheriff is standing by the car and he's. You know, they're saying, oh, he probably crawled away and he's buried in the snow somewhere and he's dead because if if someone would have found him, they would have called the police or the hospital and right. they didn't. Mm-hmm. But the sheriff noticed that the car was pried open from the outside. So someone else had to be there. Another reason I love the character is because he's this kind of like goofball rural sheriff, but he's also shown throughout the movie to be extremely competent and very good at his job. And that's an uh, an awesome character choice, and it just makes you cheer for him all the more. And he starts reading all of Paul's books to kind of get a sense of who he is, which I thought was cool. And He's reading yeah. in bed with his wife, and, and she's just like... And his wife gives him just <laughs> untold shit for it. It's great. Yeah. That's great. when he when he walks in after buying the all the books. The fact that she gets off the phone, she's like, uh, "The guy at the store wants to know who you're having an affair with." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she his must read a lot. Is, his response is, "I thank you for thinking I have that much energy." <laughs> it's, it's such a great character. I could have watched another movie with just those two solving crimes. Uh, too bad you can't. Uh, we'll uh. get to that. <laughs> so we have a writing montage, and then. The coolest part in the movie where we all quoted this line at the same time, (laughs) it starts raining and we all said, 
Then the rain came and everything changed. <laughs> Literally simultaneously. And it does. The the change. This is one of, I think there are two scenes in the entire movie that won Kathy Bates the Oscar. And this is the first one. And it's the scene where she, in the book, she has her uh, depressive episode. Her first uh, where in the book, Paul describes it as seeing Annie for the first time without any of her masks on. This was the real Annie. And this was the point in my notes I wrote down, oh my God, uh, she's so much more sympathetic yes. in this in this uh, movie than she is in the book. I completely, this made me see Annie the way CM saw Annie I don't know what you're talking about. I I didn't sympathize Uh, with her once. (laughs) But uh, she she comes into the room and she's like, sorry, Paul. And she's all monotone. Sorry, the the rain gives me the blues. And I love you. And I know you don't love me. Don't say you do. I, I know it's not true. And in that moment, I was like, I wrote my notes. Oh my god, I I, I feel sorry for Annie Wilkes. I, I wrote down the the last thing she says before she walks out of the room is, "You'll never know the fear of losing someone like you if you're someone like me." That's and so, I was like, "Holy shit!" Like that's such an emo. Like that's such a brutally honest emotional moment mm-hmm. that in a different movie <laughs> would be the line that like had the audience. Balling. Yeah, that's that's the the middle point of any rom com. Yeah, it makes you wonder too who the real bad guy is. <laughs> no, right? no, 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 it doesn't. doesn't. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> she sensed us giving in to Annie just a little bit. I took it too and far. And CM just dives <laughs> in. Bet it all on us. Not my point. Not my time. Uh, but yeah, just as I'm typing in my phone, finishing typing, like. She's, you know, less violent. She's she's truly has this deep well of emotions. And Kathy Bates is just so goddamn charismatic. She reaches into her house coat and pulls out a pistol and says, so I have this gun. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, shit. Never mind. It's so it's the acting, the pacing, the the turn on a dime. It's so good. And then to end it with, maybe I'll put some bullets in it. Yeah. Like, oh, God, I it should. wasn't loaded. And now it's going to be, oh, well, yeah, God, my she's brain. Just, she's just dry firing it as she's talking to yeah. Paul. And, oh, it's, it's so intense. See, I was going to talk about her change from, you know, this disgusting, gross creature when she goes into that depressive episode mm-hmm. in the book to the sympathetic character in the movie, but now you guys have thrown in the gun thing and I'll just sound like a crazy person. <laughs> no, I, so. that's a good point. No, that's a very good point. And I think it's better for it in the movie, honestly. It makes it a very different view of Annie. Well, it, if anyone watches this movie and they know someone or they themselves struggle with mental health, she is so relatable in that mm-hmm. moment. Absolutely. And it's hard, it's hard to hate her because you're like, yeah, wow, she's in pain. I get it. Yeah, in the book, we have, we're allowed to use our imagination to see, you know, her as, as fucked up as she is in the head. But if that had been translated into the movie, I feel like it would have just felt mean. It would have been like cartoonish too. Yeah, it, it was. Yeah. Not, it was more classy in the movie the way it was done. And supports his theory that this is the mm-hmm. the true events 
that uh and Paul just being a real piece of shit wrote the novel Misery and was like, "Oh yeah, she was disgusting. She was she was covered in lard and ate a rat." That's that's his vengeance though, is to have her remembered forever as a monster. Like that's where he gets Annie Wilkes back forever. Interesting that you called him a piece of crap for doing that. I don't Are know you? what you're talking. Huh. Okay. <laughs> no, oh God. <laughs> Who is the villain of this book? <laughs> no, it's spreading. Oh God, <laughs> it's working its way around the table. Oh, uh, guys, let's go. Let's go kidnap someone. <laughs> oh, whoa, whoa! Did I this take too far? Uh, definitely gonna cut that out. <laughs> okay. So Annie leaves, and she just walks out in her housecoat in the rain gets in her truck and goes to, she doesn't talk about the laughing place in the movie because I think that would have sounded really weird, but <laughs> she leaves. And so Paul goes back out into the house. Um, he's tried the doors and the phone at this mm-hmm. point. He, we see him knock over the penguin, ceramic penguin figurine, and put it back sort of carelessly. Uh, puts it back facing the complete opposite direction. Like and we not are shown, due south. We are shown <laughs> specifically where it sits and... Then he specifically puts it back facing 180 degrees, mm-hmm. which comes back later in another. I oh, felt we jumped over that scene. Actually. Really amazing. No, that comes later because uh, at later in the book, there's a scene where Paul and Annie have a nice dinner together, a candlelit dinner in their living room. And there's just the establishing shot where you see in the foreground the table with all her knickknacks and the penguin is turned back the correct way. And knowing what's coming, you see that, and I thought it was a great bit of direction, being like, that's a great hint that Mm -hmm. she knows already. And and that scene is what we find out he's been saving all of his novel for, Mm -hmm. is because he opened up all the capsules and made a a makeshift paper tube, and he's going to... Okay, he gets the wine, asks her to leave to get a candle, and then when she's gone, he pours... All the contents of what it's a full pack was like what six, six in the pack. Sure, he, he at least had four in his mattress that we see. So we're looking at like let's say ten to fourteen. Yeah, pills. she's gonna die. <laughs> so that that's my question. What's the end game for him if she drinks that wine? Well, she's got to have a key on her. Sure. Right? Well, not necessarily. I mean, she might have a key ring. So it might be like, she might have it in, in, in her stuff. It might be like in her room upstairs. Oh, he'll be able to get up there. It Eventually. It just will hurt real bad. <laughs> yeah. But he has, if she's dead, then he, he's got time, man. But the amount of searching the house he would ha- he might have to do in order to, to find a way to get out. And then, you know, what's he going to do when he gets out? Is he going to get the wheelchair out and just start rolling down the hill and, and trying to find civilization. It was just, it was a, a moment where at reading the book and knowing they were doing this different take on the, with the movie, mm-hmm. I was half expecting that she would drink it, pass out, but not for long enough. And like, that's where he'd get some comeuppance. Cause in the, in the book, every time he tries something that doesn't work, he gets comeuppance. Mm. So I was more nervous of like, oh God, what's Annie going to do to him when this fails? <laughs> Instead, it just fails by uh random happenstance. Yeah. Which I think was the biggest reason this scene didn't work for me. Although I would, I do, I really liked his, the actor's reaction when mm. Annie knocks over the wine and yeah. he looks, you can feel like he had so much writing on mm-hmm. that plan and 
he's just devastated. And once again, it's all face acting. Mm-hmm. It yeah. is James Conn just knocking it out of the park of just you see in his eyes because he's trying to be stoic because mm-hmm. he doesn't want Annie to know. But just you see the defeat in him because Annie just clumsily knocks yeah. over the glass. Mm-hmm. It and has it's, it's not it didn't fail because of any thing that she did or he did. It was just random chance, mm-hmm. which is even more devastating. But yeah, I don't know how I felt about that change, uh, that whole scene. It felt kind of like filler. Did anybody else feel that way? I, yeah, I, it, it felt a, it felt a little tacked on to me. It felt really? like it felt like for anybody reading the book who watching the movie because I had the moment of he gets out in the hall when he gets out and he grabs that pack of of Navril. Mm-hmm. I'm like, why? Why is he grabbing mm-hmm. this? He hasn't shown any need for it, and we haven't seen her withholding it. Like mm-hmm. we haven't we haven't gotten any of that. We haven't established that she will hold back medication. We don't do any of that. So my my brain was like, well, what's what's the point of this? I feel like, oh, maybe they were doing that in the script and we're like, oh, we have to justify all this novel we've got now. See, I I th- kind of look at it the opposite way. I think they intentionally wrote that scene and they made the choice not to show the addiction, but to show him hoarding it for that scene. Okay. Because I think if you're watching the movie and you're not familiar with the book, you might wonder why he's not trying to escape. So that having that sense. dinner scene would be like, okay, yeah, he's he's thinking about how he can get out of here. Yeah, okay. he, he, that he's had this still, plan. Yeah, I, I, I was thinking of it very much in along the lines of the book. Because yeah, so in the book, that does too, make more sense. they don't show the addiction to writing this misery novel that he has. Mm-hmm, so true. you don't get that duality of of um, that relationship that he has with Annie of hating her and needing her. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. Yeah. But we got to go back because <laughs> we skipped over something that the, the, I, the chase? I almost had to like get up and walk. I'm sweating thinking about it. <laughs> so he's, he's out. He grabs a kitchen knife, like a big, big butcher knife. And he's trying to figure out how to, you know, how he's going to like attack His quick her. draw. He's sort of waiting up for her. Mm-hmm. Annie comes home and she stops in front of his door. He can see her shadow underneath mm-hmm. the door. And then she goes upstairs. So he hides the knife under the mattress. And then he wakes up to her. I don't know if this happened because I had to turn away because it's my <laughs> like, first least favorite thing to see in movies. <laughs> she injects him with mm-hmm. the needle. We, we, he doesn't. Uh, he sees that he's strapped down first. That he's oh, been tied. Yeah. He's tied to the bed. Yeah, there's like three sections of rope that have him tied all the way down to his legs so he can't move. Because I think what she just says, you've been out of your room. And then mm-hmm. he sees that he's tied down and then she slides the needle Ugh. in. And he just. No. Is that not? No, I think he gets injected first and then he wakes up to that. And then he's like reaching under the bed. He's like trying to grab for the knife while he's tied up. And then she and then she just holds it up. She's like, look what I found. <laughs> one of you is right. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's me because um, I'm pretty, I, sure, I'm it's pretty sure one uh, it, the way they do it, because in, in the book, it's kind of the other way around yeah. in the movie. I'm pretty sure it's once he's injected, he pretty much goes out almost immediately. But and then it's wakes dark up when again. he gets injected. And then during the scene where he's tied down, it's bright out. Oh, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Withdrawn. Continuity error, everybody. (laughs) All right. But either way, it's a real intense scene. I love all of the scenes with Annie looming over him. 
Uh, we see it here, and we see it in the first scene where Misery dies, where it's the first time we see her really freaked out, and the way it frames her, just a real close-up of yeah. her face. Mm-hmm. And it reminded me so much of the goddess in the book, that that shot of her taking up the entire frame. Yeah. She is his yeah. world. Every every time she goes intense, there's always like a slow zoom. It always gets the more intense she gets, it constantly mm-hmm. brings into her until she is I thought the movie ugh. could have been uh, an hour and a half slow zoom onto <laughs> Kathy Bates yelling face. <laughs> and it would have been amazing. Yeah. But yeah, the when he she is looming over him, there's a lightning strike, she pokes him. Give him the injection, and he wakes up tied to the bed. Yep, you're right. Okay, so then she starts <laughs> talking about the hobbling, and it's different in the movie. And yes, it is. I was trying to figure out which is worse. <laughs> yeah, it's. I'm funny. gonna go with the book is worse. The yeah, book is. yeah, it's. I guess. I guess which was worse for me reading about <laughs> his foot being cut off in the book. Or what she does in the movie and having to watch that, which is she places a wooden block between his feet as he's strapped down. And Just she, above the ankle. Oh, <laughs> and she takes this big mallet. Sledgehammer. <laughs> Whatever. Sledgehammer. <laughs> Just the shot of it right next to her she face. She looks like Thor. So iconic. <laughs> and uh, she does not hesitate. Like he starts screaming for her not to do it. And you can tell like she has every intention of doing it. She's not going to be swayed and she lifts it and she swings it. And you see his foot, you see it hitting his foot and his foot just curves in at the ankle into the block. And then she does the other one. Don't worry. We're almost over. (laughs) (laughs) I was a little disappointed. We didn't get to see the second photo. And oh, we don't need we the level (laughs) of anguish on James Khan's face. He is bright red and drenched and just holy fuck. He had to have been going all out. And then we get the second scene I mentioned earlier that. Maybe even the single line that won Kathy Bates an Oscar, where a just zoom in on her face as she turns around. The the look on her face is just terrifying because it's almost nothing. It's just this blank look. But she turns and looks at him and says, God, I love you. And God. It's perfect. It's perfect. And I wanted to ask you guys, I mean, both lines in the book and the movie are the best part of the entire book or movie. (laughs) But the line in the book is also so good. The don't worry, I'm a nurse. (laughs) I'm a trained nurse. (laughs) I'm a trained nurse is a fantastic line. But the God, I love you is so much better. Am I right? Is that just me? Yes. It's, I don't know if it's the delivery, if it's... I think part of it is that the sledgehammer to the ankles is raw brutality. And to follow up pure raw brutality with God, I love you is insane to uh, an unbelievable degree. While in the book, her 
taking the foot, cauterizing it mm-hmm. is all she explains why she's going to do it because it has to be done. Like she explains it all very clinical mm-hmm. and is like, I'm, this is going to be fine. I'm a professional at handling this. And then like, so the, the emotional distance mm-hmm. from chopping off a foot and cauterizing it, as opposed to the uh, completely the God, I love you in that brutality. Like both of those. Oh God, it's so good. <laughs> both of them are so amazing, but yeah. God, I love you is way is just so sinister. It's if I had to pick one, that's the one. So the sheriff, Sheriff Buster, is closing in on Annie because he reads a line in one of Paul's books that triggers something in his mind. And he goes to the library and he's looking through the records and he finds the page about her trial, the newspaper mm-hmm. clipping, and she quotes misery. There is a judge higher than that of man, and I will be judged by him. So that turns into a visit to Annie's house, and the sheriff goes in, and she's just like, hey, come on in. Look at my shrine to Paul Sheldon. Don't suspect me. This isn't (laughs) weird at all. Gives him a cup of cocoa, which did you guys think that he wasn't taking the cocoa because he was assuming she poisoned it or something? Yes, 100%. That's what I thought. Yeah, there's a scene as she's showing him around the house um, and she's 100% normal. She's just like no, a weird she was not recluse. Well, normal. Well, yeah, she's like a recluse, <laughs> like someone that doesn't talk to people a lot. She's kind of a weirdo. But her... <laughs> I think I'm getting to you, Ben. <laughs> I think that was a slip. <laughs> I think so. Uh, it's, I'm just enamored with Kathy Bates' performance in this yeah. that I can't help it. I, I She's so good in this part. But she's showing him around and uh, just rattling on and talking and talking. And there's nothing really to be suspicious of. Meanwhile, we know that Paul is in the basement uh, after being hypoed again. And at one point, she walks up and says, I'm a terrible host. Can I go get some cocoa? And he says, yep, that's just fine. You You go. And there's this shot of her she walks down the hall (laughs) and she's standing in the frame of a doorway just like kind of looking at him and he's in the foreground of the shot being like yep coco coco sounds fine she's okay well and she like peeks out of the doorway and then peeks back out and just the shot is so Mm -hmm. unnerving it does such an amazing job that she's not doing or saying anything but just the way it's framed is so sinister and like, what is she doing back and she, there? She gives this nervous giggle when they kind of it, it reminded mm. me of when you're walking down a hallway and someone's coming towards you and you both are trying to figure out, do I go left or right? <laughs> and you make the wrong choice and you're like, oh, sorry. And then you do it again. Yep. It was very much one of those moments. Yeah. Uh, backing up real quick, though, before he comes to her house. He asked the guy at the corner store if she's been buying anything weird, mentioned she's been buying paper. That's right. And I love that when he's getting that tour of her house, she already has a justification mm. for everything. Which is nuts. It is insane that she's such a big Paul Sheldon fan and the, him being probably dead has awakened in her the desire to become uh, an author 
and that she is going to pick up where Paul Sheldon left off and she's going to start writing. Which and is a crazy bluff. It is, that is yes. such a crazy bluff. It's so bold. But too. it is the bluff of a crazy person. Yeah. Which she is. It is bold because she offers him. She's like, here, take a yeah. hundred pages or so. Read some of my writing. Also, that cover page probably says by Paul Sheldon on it. <laughs> Uh, so that's an even bigger bluff. <laughs> Which is why, Ben, when you said she's completely normal during this tour, <laughs> I, just, I think you've been infected. <laughs> I, I just... <laughs> Kathy Bates is amazing. She is amazing. And, uh, I, the first note that I made as he's walking through the house was, uh, please don't let him be run over by a mower. That's all. <laughs> yeah. oh, according, that was- <laughs> according to IMDb in the original treatment of the script, there was a scene where a young cop gets <laughs> run over by a fucking lawnmower and Rob Reiner took it out because he thought the audience would laugh at it. Oh, that's interesting. You know what, though? I, I get that. But having seen Kathy Bates' performance, she I think totally if she ran him over the lawnmower, I'd be like, ooh. I, I bet yeah. that would be an iconic it would be crazy, scene yeah. by now. So Sheriff Buster, he's getting ready to leave. She closes the door. And as he's walking down the porch steps, Paul's kind of coming to and he knocks over. He's in the basement still and he knocks over the grill mm-hmm. and it makes this big clanging noise. And so the sheriff comes back in. He opens the door and he's saying, Miss Wilkes, are you OK? And he hears Paul yell from the basement. And this is a huge deviation from the book. Mm-hmm. He opens the door and he sees Paul and laying at because- the bottom of the stairs and he points up at him. And because I like Sheriff Buster so much, I thought, oh, so he's going to save him in this movie version and everything's going to be okay. And then his chest explodes. (laughs) Oh, I yelled so loud. So loud that my husband came upstairs (laughs) from the basement (laughs) to see what we were doing. (laughs) It is this whole scene, being the only person in the room that knew what was going to happen, I was literally biting my tongue. Like I, <laughs> I wanted to be like, I, in my head, I was going, wait for it. Wait for it. You guys, it's going to happen. Uh, it, <laughs> Thank you. You did a good job. Yeah. An intense scene. And you think he's going to get away because the whole time he's touring the house, you're like, what's going to happen? Something bad's going to happen up to the point where even he, he's ex- inspecting Annie's bedroom and she comes up behind him and they have the violin sting mm-hmm. going on. This uh, music that they use every time that Annie gets worked up that you know that Annie's going to do something crazy and he turns around and she just hands him Coco. <laughs> and then he leaves and you're like, oh, thank God. he's he, yeah. he, And then... And she has he, that dead face until mm-hmm. he turns around and then she smiles. Yeah, and then he... It goes back in the house, and you're Ugh. like, no, 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 don't do that. <laughs> and the way it's shot of Paul not even being able to say anything at the bottom of the stairs, he's just like, Ugh! and points up at him, and he has this look on his face, and I think he says, it's you, and then boom, and he falls down, and behind him is Annie with the shotgun. That was, oh my, uh, I, like I said, I yelled. I was so surprised and I was so excited. It was great. And then Annie just like brings the wheelchair over and oh, she she says that like, all right, well, now's the time. I've, we've got to kill both of us. Yeah. And it's going to be beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> and and Paul, you know, is like, no, we, we have to finish the book. We owe the world misery. Mm-hmm. So let's let's do this. And she so it, 
appeals to that sense of her. She brings over the wheelchair and like locks it down and then just leaves. So he has not only does he have to climb up the stairs over the sheriff's body. Oh my God, I didn't even think of that. (laughs) Yeah. And then climb back into the wheelchair on his broke ass legs. But that does give him the opportunity to grab the lighter fluid. Yes. So he tells her that he is going to finish misery by dawn. And he does, right? Yep. I stopped making notes after yeah. I just wrote kills <laughs> and then, sheriff yeah, from and then my here brain on, broke. We, we know the story pretty much. Yeah. He yeah. finishes the book and we get uh her coming in saying, Boy, I can't wait to read this. He says, Well, first I need three things. She says, What what three things? He's like you don't know. And, and she giggles. She giggles <laughs> and she's back. She's back like nothing happened. I, she like, knows him so well. Nothing. Yeah. So romantic. Nothing wrong <laughs> is going on. And she says, well, of course, you need a cigarette and you need a, uh, a match and you need a, a glass of Don Perignon. Which or, is what they showed him doing at the very start of the movie after he finished Fast Cars. Yep. Yes, indeed. Uh, in a great bit of foreshadowing. Yeah. Uh, and she goes also, off. Also, it's Dom Perigno. In Don case. Per- yeah. yeah. <laughs> Forgive my mispronunciation. And of her mispronunciation. <laughs> I love, but I love that he repeats it back to her like, yep, Dom well, now's, Perigno. Now's not the time <laughs> to not, piss yeah. off Annie <laughs> That would be a weird, a weird flex. I, I thought that it was really tense when she walks away to go get him his stuff and he rips the last page out of the typewriter and he rolls it up and he tosses the manuscript on the floor. He douses it and he grabs a match and I'm like, hurry Why up, man. Yeah. Come on. And she walks in and he says, hey, Annie, you know how you were wondering if, you know, who was going to win her hand and you're wondering who her real father was. It's all right here. And he he lights the match with his thumbnail. The coolest move. Yeah. <laughs> lights the last page, drops it on the manuscript. She screams no, drops Not her glass, misery. and starts to try to put out the fire with her hands. And it's just like we get in the book. It's it just is, this insane struggle between the two of them. And it's it was so hard to watch. It's <laughs> yeah. so good. Him clobbering her over the head with the with the typewriter. Mm-hmm. And it's even more action-packed Yeah, the she book. shoots him in the shoulder. She yeah. shoots him in the shoulder. He gouges her eyes Which out. Which is the best move. Every horror movie <laughs> I watch, a woman is dying, and she's just sort of sitting there petrified screaming. And I'm like, put your thumbs in their eyes. Yeah, eyeballs are Finally, squishy, man. Yeah. <laughs> and oh, it's so good. And there's this struggle. And he launches himself out of the wheelchair. That was that awesome. Fucking cool. tackles her. Uh, goes for below her center of gravity. Great, great move, Paul. <laughs> and the, we get the eat it, eat it. You want this story? Eat it. As he shoves it in her mouth, and it's so intense. And Kathy Bates, Annie is just covered in blood. And she gets up, and he trips her, and she just goes down. And uh, million dollar babies herself on, <laughs> on the typewriter. and we get him escaping and and crawling through the glass and she falls on him again everything almost just Mm -hmm. like the book except instead of just dying he punches her in the nose with an iron pig yeah misery yeah Yeah. (laughs) oh yeah yeah 
kills her with misery. Uh, but what was that thing? On it was, it was it like just a doorstop. Door yeah, it looks it's like, like a an door iron doorstop. Door yeah. Oh well, he fucking nails her in the nose, straight in the yeah. face, and that's it. Yeah, that we cut to eighteen months later, and he's released his new book, which is not Misery Returns. No, nope. because he burned he it. Burned yeah. it. Yeah, he, he got rid of that shit. And he's walking with a cane. He's walking with a cane because he has both of his feet. Yep. <laughs> uh, and he's at lunch with his manager. And uh, she gives him the pitch. How about a nonfiction book, Paul? And just super glibly, I love the line. You know, if I didn't know any better, you'd think that you're trying to bring out my worst thing that's ever happened to me to make a few, a few bucks. <laughs> it's like, yeah, give it to her. Paul. Right. And she's basically like, well, I had to ask. <laughs> And she says, uh, what, what's the line that are you, what are you trying to forget it? Yeah. Something, something like that. Yeah. And as she says that Kathy Bates wheeling a cart with a cake on it, turns the corner <laughs> dressed as a waitress, dressed as a waitress, slowly walking towards their table. As he says, you know, even though I know she's dead, I, I still think about her a lot and I don't think I ever will. And then he turns and it's just a normal waitress. Mm-hmm. And the movie ends. Roll credits. What did you guys think of that ending? I liked it. Uh, well, I, I liked that the, that last lie she says uh, that I'm your number one fan, and he goes, "Yeah, that's sweet, really of you. sweet of you." And <laughs> yeah. then go, goes to black. Yeah, I because in as it as it's going to black, you can see his smile sort of fading. Mm-hmm. I like it. I thought it was it was a good ending. I loved it. It really got across that point that the book gets to of she's haunting him mm-hmm. annie will always be with him in PTSD the back of his head sure. oh 100% but it doesn't need that that final jump scare as much as i love that bit in the book where mm-hmm. his head gets chopped off <laughs> um that might have made this, people laugh yeah would have 100% made me laugh i would have <laughs> lost my mind it's so restrained I think. And uh, it's more realistic, which is what makes it more frightening. Yeah. So how many blue chambray shirts would you give it? Oh, sim- I'm going to have to do the same thing I did with the book here, guys. Short and simple. Ten out of five. <laughs> five out of five blue chambray shirts. It's a nearly perfect movie. It's one of my favorites. It is criminally underrated that when people talk about good king adaptations everyone's first thought is shawshank which yes is a fantastic movie but this movie just is it's so good it's so so good i i don't i don't have an eloquent way to put it five out of five (laughs) josh um yeah uh, this is my first time seeing the movie and uh while as it almost always is the book is definitely better than the movie for a lot of reasons in my opinion but oh man james con and kathy bates what an insane team what amazing choices what amazing direction five out of five blue chambray shirts for sure cm i thought that i was going to like i usually do with the movie version miss the little things in the book that just ties everything together and really adds something to it. And I didn't. 
they could have done so many other things and I'm sure it would have been amazing, but the direction that they took it was perfect. And I would have to give it five out of five blue chambray shirts. Well, that's it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. Please join us for our next episode as we dive into Salem's Lot. Hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, has anybody read this? Yes. yes. Both I, of you have? Yep, and Not seen the movie. High school. Yeah. But I love it. Yeah. I can't wait. So this is going to be my first time reading it through. I know everybody's shocked <laughs> that it's a new to me book. Uh, so we're going to be diving into Salem's Lot, reading chapters one through nine. So if you'd like to read along, uh, please get started. So for Benjamin Graham and CM Alexander, I am Joshua Khan reminding you that this whole house is going to be full of romance. I'm going to put on my Liberace records. Hey everyone, CM Alexander here. Thanks for listening to our final episode of Misery. We hope you enjoyed this story as much as we did. Or maybe as much as Josh and Ben did, but not as much as I did, because there could be something a little bit wrong with me. I think Annie Wilkes is my favorite Stephen King villain. Or it's George Stark. I'm not sure. I'll have to think about that one. We'd love to know who your favorite Stephen King villain is. Find us and let us know on Facebook or Instagram at Dairy Public Radio or Twitter at Dairy Public. You can also send us an email at dairypublicradio at gmail.com. And if you have a minute, we ask that you please give us a review on iTunes. We all work really hard on this podcast, and your review will help other people find us. That's all for now, listeners. As Annie would say, God, I love you. <laughs>